0: interesting to find out what uh premier league football team someone supports right and the history of a of a person you know uh turns out uh tom hanks is a big fan of aston villa strange huh? but every time he's on mark kermode show uh kermode mayo uh he's always they always ask him what's going on with the villains and uh like that's a thing
1: you're saying things but none of them make sense to me.
0: It's, yeah, was that English? It was English. It was English. It was
1: British English.
0: I say yeah. is it Aston Villa? It may be Tottenham Hotspur, now that I think about it.
1: Still doesn't make sense. It's yeah. just gibberish. Sounds like you're having a stroke.
2: It's so stupid that they call trucks lorries. I hate it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, they probably thought it was stupid. We called them trucks, you know, since they started it first.
0: Like a, a a baby buggy is a is a prat, a pram, a pram, not a pram. A prat is an idiot, right?
1: Yeah, that's what I use.
0: What are the Brit words? I don't know the Brit words. Uh, pissed is drunk, right? Yes.
2: That's one. We don't need to list all the dumb British slang. We I, do,
0: I do know the Irish coach spent a year pissed, and that meant he spent a year drunk after his injury, right? Look not, at us go. Uh, yes, not Good. a year uh, it's,
2: I will say, speaking of British slang in this movie specifically, love all the indents. One it, of my favorites. <laughs> But, and it know, makes me laugh every time somebody
0: says it. Every time I hear it, see, I, I have another re- connection to it because uh, Native American, uh, specifically Kiowas, say "Anit." it chooch. Yeah, Anit guy. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's very close to too. something I grew up with. Yeah,
1: yeah, Anit.
0: So. Shoots. Go figure. But hello, everybody, welcome again to the good trash undercast. We gather around a table, we discuss the films you'll never discuss in Film Space Course unless you took the Film Space course me and Arthur did, in which you would have maybe watched Bend It Like Beckham. Uh true story. Ger- directed by Pronounce. Go.
1: Garinda Chata.
0: That's what I said. And uh so and just in respect, I am letting other people say the words because I'm scared to death of messing <laughs> things up. <laughs> uh so there you go. I'm still Dustin.
1: I'm still Arthur.
2: I am still Dalton.
0: And uh, we're going to warn you right now, dear listener, if you are tuning into this show for the very first time, it is an analysis show, not a review show. And that means there will be spoilers. And uh, that means that we're going to tell you who wins the big game in the end and whatever else might be related to Bend It Like Beckham. So uh, be aware of that, but we'll avoid that for the first part of the show. We'll have synopsis, which will be spoiler-free. We'll have our gentle spoilers of a review time, in which we give a quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down review. So I guess it is kind of a review show for a second. And then we uh, play a little game called Expand the Syllabus, in which we in- might spoil this film or... Maybe spoil other films in its orbit. And then finally, we get down to business. There'll be music to let you know. And uh, all spoiler bets are off once that time has entered. You have been warned. So, without any further ado, Arthur, do you have a synopsis for us, buddy?
1: Hey, I sure do. Look at that. Thanks, pal. Jules and Jess are two young women who develop a friendship through their love of soccer. But life isn't that easy, as both of them are held back by cultural and familial expectations. Jess's parents find her love of soccer to be immature and want her to start looking ahead to marriage and a career, key elements within her British-Indian Sikh culture. Jules's mother is worried that her tomboy behavior will scare suitors away. The two girls will find themselves laughing and fighting and growing as they navigate the pitch and their families. It's like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but in a soccer field.
2: I think they call them pitch, right? (laughs) Dustin, is that right? They call it a pitch?
0: That's what I said. It is called a pitch. It is a soccer yeah. pitch. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, Arthur, you did say that. Is that. Oh, is that the game we're playing now? Okay.
1: This is the, the one where Dal- yeah, Dalton a- doesn't pay attention.
2: You said field.
1: I said pitch in the synopsis, though.
0: Ah,
2: uh, that's true. That's true. You did. I was just as talking about We say about field
0: it. in the States, but they say pitch there, and I don't know why. Yeah, It's, a, it's a rugby pitch. It's a soccer pitch. It's even a cricket pitch.
1: I think it sounds better than field.
0: But a cricket pitcher is called a bowler, so there's that as well.
1: Now it's getting all kinds of wacky again. <laughs>
0: All right, let's go ahead and do some reviews. Dalton, have you never seen the movie? Are you the only one that's a virgin? Yeah, I had
2: never gotten around to it, uh, despite so. knowing uh, lady soccer players uh, as a team. Yeah, uh, never, never got this one. Uh, man, is it good? I have no notes. Truly, uh, I just had a great time watching it. It's a pleasant, joyf- joyous little film. Uh, it's charming as hell. Uh, it's it's really delightful. Grindad like clearly has crafted. Uh, this movie that very much uh, seems personal to her, despite, you know, not being in, involved in the initial uh, drafting of the screenplay as far as I, I was able to see uh, in the production history. But yeah, it, it's, it's great. It's super funny. Uh, it's a really well-made sport movie. Uh, the, the really kind of keyed in on the third act of this because there's so little what I would call essential dialogue. Uh, in like the last twenty minutes, it is a lot of visual storytelling stuff, especially in the the wedding, final match, cross cutting stuff. It's it's great, um, really, until um, Keira Knightley's mom, Jules' mom, uh, I forgot the character name for a second. Uh, basically, until Jules' mom gets to the wedding, it really feels like it could be wordless um, in, in some ways, and I just really appreciated that because this this movie was charming and funny enough that it didn't need to be that well-made and it still, it, it was, uh, despite that. Right. Uh, so I always appreciate when a movie is just swinging for the fences regardless. I also learned painters and decorators are here, uh, for period euphemism. That's great. That's some British slang. I don't hate, uh, still mad about Lori and flat stupid as hell, but painters and decorators are here. Hilarious. Love it. I'm still laughing about it. Um, yeah, it, it's great. All of the, the family stuff right up top is great. We immediately, um, get a vibe of what it's like to grow up in this household. Um, I I just, I love that kind of economy of storytelling uh, that you can get from a typically a coming of age film, but when you got like an entire family moving throughout their morning routine or whatever, Um, it's just such a great way to establish a story, uh, especially one that is, you know, very family centric. And as Arthur said, like all of the, the stuff in here is pretty standard and i don't mean that in a bad way uh or as a backhanded compliment but like really really standard coming of age um stuff but there is also this this intense specificity right like the the defying parental and cultural expectations that arthur mentioned in the synopsis that is something that you could find and truly you know any film about teenagers uh but what been it like Beckham brings to that equation is I think really essential. Uh great movie. I, I again I'm so glad we watched it for the show. I'm so glad I had an excuse to finally catch up with it because uh damn it if I just didn't like the heck out of it. Yeah, it's great. Um seriously, no notes. I, I can't think of literally anything else other than on a one more thing about its sport uh stuff that's good. Excellent montage work. Truly. Like uh master class in it. You 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 see somebody learning the skill that they're gonna need the skill comes up later in the movie it doesn't go well the skill wraps around in the ending it's great like that's just how you make a movie about somebody getting good at sports uh it's textbook stuff but damn when it's this good like it's it's nice to have those reference points
0: for sure for sure all right well thank you very much for that dalton what do you say arthur this is your second watch right correct uh what do you think about the return to bend it like Beckham?
1: Yeah, I, I think I remembered having a pretty pleasant experience with this the first time, and this time was no different. I, I think I'm really learning to uh, understand and realize that I enjoy sports movies that really aren't about the sport uh, at all. Uh, that's just kind of the backdrop to what this movie is about and what that really is, those kind of uh, the, the cultural aspects and the, the I think, uh, female uh, feminism aspects of this Um uh, and it's all just kind of framed against the soccer backdrop. And I, I, I think I'm, I'm starting to lean more towards those sorts of sports movies just because there's a lot more meat on the bone than, uh, you know, two thirds of the movie being uh, sports montages uh, uh, with underdogs overachieving, you know, uh, which is fine. I, you know, I still like those movies, but I, I think stuff like this is, is really uh, where it's at uh overall I, I like this movie pretty pretty well like dalton said i i, I don't have a lot of negative I, I think that for me there is a lot of movie here there are the, and i think it's a pacing issue in a lot of ways uh because of the way things ebb and flow and there's like some victorious moments and some high soaring things that drop pretty quickly and, and i remember checking the time at one point i'm like oh this this feels like it's wrapping up and it was like at the 40 minute or an hour mark and there's like another hour left And so I I think there's maybe a little too much room to breathe uh, in some spots. Uh, That being said, I, I, I don't know, you know, there are things I would cut, you know, the stuff of coach Joe feels weird. Uh, I I think that feels kind of forced in here uh, shoehorned in. Um, And so maybe some of that stuff, you know, there, there are things I would cut. I, I think that whole, uh, romantic subplot there. That that's kind of you know the the conflict between them. I think there's enough conflict in this film that we don't need that added in. Uh, and that that's just you know kind of where I'm at with it. I I think that there is a lot of movie here, but I I like most of it. You know, it, it doesn't take away my joy, uh, I, and I really do think come back to thinking it is just a pacing pacing issue or maybe an editing thing. Um. But yeah, I, I like Kira Knightley here quite a bit. You know, I, I, I think this was really kind of our first big experience with Kira Knightley. Um, and, and then also uh, I, I like Preminder Nagra as well as Jess. I think they're just great. Uh, uh, and uh, everybody else, you know, I think is, is pretty good. Her, uh, Jess's whole family uh, are all well cast and really fun to watch. Uh, I think they've all got a really good chemistry as a family, uh, very believable chemistry, and and it's really a good, Joy to watch. Uh and her dad, and I can't remember that character's name. Um, but uh, I, th- I think that's Mohan uh Ker, Uh I think that uh you know he's really good as the father in this. I-, I-, I like his performance quite a bit. I like that little backstory that they give him to kind of parallel everything else going on. Uh, I also really like the look of this movie. I, I and I think part of it is that kind of 2002 look, but it also kind of has this grittiness to it. I think in, in the cinematography that I think uh, really works. It, it kind of reminded me of something Soderbergh would have shot mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, so I think it has a really cool look as well. Um, so overall, yeah, I, I'm pretty positive on this. I, you know, I think in the in the catalog of uh, great sports movies, this one's got a pretty good placement. So that's where i met with uh, Beckham.
0: Very good, very good. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I also like this movie quite a bit. I think it is uh, just a delightful little film. Um, I don't know that I experience quite the same pacing problems that you do, Arthur, because new things are being introduced, new complications. Okay, sure, the folks don't like sports, but also now she's lying about it, and that moves forward. And also, there's this, like, suspicion thing, uh, you know, and all of that. You know, like So the, the little bits and pieces of, of plot that get added to, uh, the more extended montages, the trip to Germany, etc. Like all those little additional wrinkles continue to hold my interest personally, uh, for, it, but I could definitely see where it could begin to feel like it's playing kind of long. So, uh, I am sympathetic to what you're saying. I just did not experience it, uh, myself. Uh, one of the things, uh, Mark cousins, who I love as a, uh, a filmographer, a documentary filmmaker, uh, and as as a writer, uh, talks about how India is the most cinematic uh, location on the planet. And uh, sort of the transplant of uh, these Indian Sikhs and their family and just their entire culture, uh, the the color patterns, uh, just what they use for uh, cinematic uh, capture of uh, those people. As we watch the film, I just find it extremely watchable. Uh, throughout and then sports itself uh, sports is is itself uh just a, it lends itself to cinema i think in, in a lot of ways and uh it remains really fascinating and so uh watching that uh just is something i really really enjoy the editing's great uh the musical selections are great uh so, um, some Sikh music some um, some sort of contemporary generic western music is used as well and uh i i like all of that uh the performances are great um although Is dad always with a, you know, about two fingers of bourbon? Is it just me? Is he always drinking in this movie?
2: He definitely is towards the end of the film. Yeah, he is very stressed out towards the end of the movie. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) And so the whole time I'm watching it's like, dad, do you have a problem? Dad, do you need to go to a meeting? Those are the thoughts I began to have as I was watching it. But I, I, I find it to be an interesting character tick that we don't even get into. And that's, that's the, the bits I, I really do kind of appreciate, is that there are sort of continued other bits of life. There are other stories at the periphery of this film. So I, I like that it's edges. Um, uh, there's a horizon beyond those edges of what we actually see on screen. And so I, it just it it, it increases the uh, viewing pleasure of the moment of watching the film. So uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, I dig it a lot, and I'm glad that I got a chance to revisit it uh, for the sake of the show. So there you go, dear listener. Our uh, biases are generally pro regarding this film. Now we're going to move on to a little mental exercise called "Expanding the Syllabus." Arthur, can you tell the dear listener what "Expanding the Syllabus" is all about?
1: I, I can. Wow, I feel wow! privileged here. Uh, so Expanding Syllabus is a thought exercise where we're going to put together a course as if we were teaching this film within a film studies class. Uh, we're going to give it a certain direction and then talk about uh, the extra text that you would either read or view along with it.
0: That's right. Uh, so uh, with that all said, um, Dalton, what does your syllabus look like for uh, a course using Bend It Like Beckham?
2: Did you make Arthur do that because he joked about firing you before we started uh, recording?
0: I did no such thing. I was just, I, I felt magnanimous.
2: <laughs> no, I'm glad Arthur did that. Uh, we don't, we haven't given a rundown on like, uh, what this segment of the show is and it's meat and potatoes in a while. Right. So no, I'm, I'm glad Arthur did that. Yeah. Um, so looking at this, I, I want to do, uh, women's sports movies, but then I remembered I did that with, uh, um, bring it on. I kind of talked about, uh, both competition, both athletic and non-athletic with that film. Uh, so I went ahead and did key in on, Uh, stuff about the immigrant experience. But specifically, I wanted to look at the children of immigrants uh, in generally uh, growing up in uh, the West, although we do have some other examples of just general, not necessarily, you know, uh, people of uh, East Asian or Southeast Asian descent growing up in the US or the UK. Uh, We've got a couple of uh, people making their way to the US films in here. Uh, But I I did, I just was so, you know, obviously, there's a lot of Keira Knightley on the posters for this. And uh, you know, I think she gets just as much plot, and that kind of adds to that runtime. Uh, but uh, Jess is the lead here, uh, no bones about it. And I, I, it really is just so great the stuff that we get—just these little moments of specificity, whether it's uh, her storylines or her sister Pinky, uh, played by Archie Punjabi. Uh, both of those, their storylines are are just filled with texture in, in a way that I really appreciated. So I wanted to bring in some other stories <clears throat> that kind of fit within that same groove. Uh, primarily I was really thinking about Rami, uh, the, uh, is it an FX show? No, it's a Hulu original, uh, the Hulu original, uh, starring, uh, produced by, written by, uh, Rami Yusuf, uh, comic, uh, who's, I think his family's, uh, uh Egyptian descent, um, Egyptian Muslim, uh, family, um, and it's just kind of about, obviously in the text of the show, he is not a, a an established, uh, you know, writer, uh, filmmaker, uh, comedian. He is just kind of a, a dude trying to make it, trying to be a good Muslim, uh, but also you know, being a, a millennial, being a kid that grew up in America, uh, being a kid that dealt with being in grade school during nine eleven, uh, just uh, sort of unpacking it. And again, uh, th- that show does something that I think has been so crucial uh, in some of the best television that's been produced the last couple of years, which is once it kind of gets its groundwork laid as far as you know what Rami's deal is, uh, what his family's deal is. It takes time to just go be about other characters um, besides him. And again, I think a big feature of that is, you know, Rami Yusuf being the writer of the show probably doesn't feel like writing a fictional version of himself uh, all the time. Uh, and there also is, you know, there are other writers working with him on that project as well. So I'm sure that contributes to uh letting the lens of the show kind of shift around cast uh episode to episode. Uh, but I think it's really great uh and, and pairs well with Bendit like Beckham for this. And it's it really is that that sort of specificity and texture that makes me lean more towards letting this class be um more of a uh you know a sociology or anthropological class than a film class specifically. So maybe we'll be looking at, you know, uh, TV and film and media uh, to talk about, you know, the way we tell each other stories, the way stories from other cultures, or uh, the way stories from cultures that exist within our own, or you know, kind of cohabitated cultures, uh, you know, sort of that that pluralist uh, ideal we all uh, want to talk about and aspire to. Uh, I, I think kind of engaging with that, uh, how these conventions, uh, and we'll get more into this in um, you know business time, I'm sure, when we really get into analysis. But there is a lot of like classical British cinema stuff going on in here. And I know you two will probably be able to expand upon that a little bit more than me. Um, But again, I think looking at, again, this story that's decidedly uh, about a Sikh uh, Indian family, but is still definitely within the British cinema canon. I think those sorts of things are are great. And again, Rami, I think exists within a a tradition of US TV while being very much its own thing. I also want to look at uh, Under the Same Moon from uh, about the same time has been like Beckham, uh, a movie I haven't seen in God probably almost 10 years now. Uh, there about uh but one i remember liking quite a bit uh is just uh about a kiddo um and his mom uh being separated by the u.s mexico border uh it's a bummer uh but it's also very humanistic very sweet uh, a lot of good bits as i recall again it's been about 10 years but i remember just really falling in this uh in love with this movie and just kind of letting it wash over me the first time it really did it for me uh some more uh recent kind of <clears throat> uh Really critically lauded films in the same pocket: the Big Sick uh, and the Farewell. Uh, again, the Big Sick dealing with uh, you know another member of the uh, international desi diaspora, uh, but again we're in the U.S. as opposed to the U.K. We are dealing with you know wanting to date outside of your you know your uh, your family's ethnic identity. Um, with that film uh, from Emily Gordon, Command Gianni, and then the Farewell. Uh, which is just great. If you haven't caught up with that, it is really good. I know it's weird that they made a movie about an NPR story, or uh, This American Life story, to be more specific, but uh, it's good. I really want to watch it again. Um, It is maybe one of my favorite films about grief, uh, about letting go of a family member, Um, at least one of my favorites uh, in recent memory. And again, I think it deals with the unknowability of your parents and the way that, you know, that's sort of a a universal for all of us, but the ways in which that gets really specific when you're talking about being the first member of your family uh, that grew up in one country, uh, and everybody else in your family comes from a totally different culture than you, and even though you have a window into that through your elders, uh, you are always going to be on the outside a little bit to them, Um, and again, I think the Farewell deals with that so, so well. Uh, again if you haven't caught up with it, it really was one of just one of my favorite movies that year. Uh lastly, you did want to look at Brooklyn uh, uh with Saoirse Um I'm not going to roast Jonathan Rhys Meyers' character just yet. We'll get we'll get to <laughs> comparing the Irish experience to the South Asian experience uh, later when we we get into the movie. Uh but I do want to look at that film. Right. There is something to the the story of uh the Irish coming to America, the the story of uh how the Irish became white and all that stuff. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there uh, as far as uh, both identity within a community and identity as a community is perceived by like sort of larger social uh, issues or not issues, uh, larger social, social social systems. There we go. I can still talk good. Uh, lastly, there's a film I learned about recently called uh, The Golden Door, uh, Nuevo Mondo from uh, Italy. I don't know if you guys know about this film. I just learned about it uh scorsese likes it apparently uh which is part of how i i learned about it but uh, it seems really good uh it's just about uh people uh, at ellis island and just basically reminding you that the uh, u.s immigration process has always been disgusting and dehumanizing and more than a little uh eugenicsy um but deals with uh, both the italian uh experience but also perceiving uh english speakers trying to uh, get into this country and there, there's a an english character that has a lot of screen time in that one um but i uh, just learned a little bit about it recently kind of a late 19 i think it's a late 18th century movie no no no, it's like yeah early 1900s so early 20th century film um maybe, maybe late 1800s but uh just a little couple of scenes i've seen uh from it again the way it tackles the sort of intelligence tests and shit that uh would be administered to people trying to get into this country. It is, it's kind of uh, clarifying uh, to look at uh, the foreign policy of certain Western nations kind of over the course of several hundred years and the ways in which those things have changed, haven't changed, um, these, these sort of shifts. And again, I think that's so much uh, of what Bendit, like Beckham, is really good at is looking at how things change from generation to generation as far as the melding of cultures and, you know, where barriers can exist uh, for one generation, they might not for the next, where they might have uh, mutated in some way that makes uh, th- those differences be a little bit weirder uh, to navigate. Uh, anyway, uh, those, are, those are the films in the syllabus. I, I think if we do this as sort of more of a sociological or anthropological class, we'll obviously be looking at the different, you know, moments in history that have, have led to these different migration patterns, uh, right? I, I think that's something that i'm just uh really interested i don't know if you it, either of you have read it into it at all uh, or listener you're studied on this but uh, it is really interesting when you start to look at uh historically speaking like how uh human uh migration from you know one part of the planet to another usually is uh part of some larger global catastrophe uh throughout human history whether it's you know we're trying to piece things together through uh archaeological record or we're just looking at you know the the history of the 20th century or the 19th century uh, and how the the wars of the last 200 some odd years really have kind of uh, reshaped the global population in interesting ways Uh, i think there's there's a lot of interesting stuff there and again uh, that's a big part of what makes Bendit like beckham so special is the way in which it is very firmly situated both as a a british film but also as a, a immigrant experience film
0: very good very good thank you very much for that syllabus and uh making our viewing list much longer there dalton uh arthur how would you expand the syllabus using Bennett like beckham
1: yeah so i want to go back to the point i hit on in my review and that is the idea of the sports movie uh that's more of a framework for something deeper uh, and that idea of using it to kind of speak to or reflect on the human condition I think that's a really interesting, much like a biopic. I think that's the most interesting use uh, of, of this genre or style or tropes. Um, and so I, I think this would be a course, maybe, I don't know, in a maybe in a genre thing. Uh, I thought about maybe screenwriting, but I don't know if it really warrants that. I think this would just be maybe a one week or a one or two class uh, discussion, though, uh, probably talking about the types of sports movies, As far as, you know, the kind of underdog story versus uh, these that have a deeper, I think, appreciation or reflection of the human condition. Uh, So I would start with uh, Kevin Costner and Bull Durham uh, to talk about man past his prime and trying to figure out his identity uh, at a certain point when when the things he, he loves and is good at have passed him by. Uh, And how uh, man fits into that role. Uh, Bull Durham is just a a really good movie uh, with that baseball setting and, you know, Costner's great in it and stat cast. So I'd I'd probably start with Bull Durham. I think that would pair nicely with Moneyball. Uh, I think similarly, uh, it's got a lot of those same things going for it. Uh, It's, you know, kind of, uh, there's a lot there between Brad Pitt's character, I think, and Kevin Costner's character. They've both been in many ways used up by this system. Uh, and I think they both kind of speak to the human spirit in a certain interesting way that would pair well. Uh, from there, I want to look at a, a couple of high school football movies. I want to take a look at Varsity Blues and Friday Night Lights and the the kind of the pressure society puts on these athletes uh, to perform at a certain level, even at their own detriment. And the kind of communities that they have to grow up in and the the pressure socially that they deal with. Uh I, I think these two, you know, really, you know, are sports movies in a traditional sense, but their settings and their themes uh that they have to tackle uh elevate them in a, in a certain regard. Uh, from there I want to look at Itanya from a few years ago. This uh Ooh. sort of uh you know, that kind of Goodfellas mockumentary approach to it in some ways. And again, kind of looking at, uh, the pressure put on prodigy athletes, uh, as well as, you know, getting into the way media treats these, these individuals and, uh, the, the way that's all presented as a package. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, you know, interesting in that regard. Uh, then I want to get into the way back, uh, from last year. Uh, actually I think the last movie I saw in theaters, um, and, discuss you know that that's all about affleck and i think there's a lot of real world uh experience there that affleck is able to draw on as as this coach deals with sobriety uh, i i think it's uh oh, what's the director's name i can't think gavin something right uh, gavin o'connor I think. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. who did warrior obviously uh, another no, no great play.
2: sports movie that's barely about sports right
1: yeah but I feel like a lot yeah. of, I think the thing that i'm I'm thinking here is that sports movies in a traditional sense, many of the themes or emotional moments like a musical take place within the sport field, whether that's mm. a, you know, on the field in a cage, you know, and I think yeah, Warrior has a lot of depth to it. I thought about putting it on this list. But it really feels like a lot is worked out in the in the cage fighting. Uh, yeah,
2: it's it's big time a fight movie. Yeah, it's it's very much a film about here's why mixed martial arts are interesting as a sport. You're absolutely right.
1: And that's why I, I almost put Creed on this list as well. And similarly, I feel like a lot of the emotional character stuff actually comes out in in the fight scenes there. Uh, so those were two that were very close to being on the syllabus. But but I think the way back framing it from the the coach's perspective. Uh, offers a little more depth and still still a really good movie i I think it's one of the it was one of my favorites that i saw i didn't see many last year but it was towards the top of the list uh another one i i've got three more here uh next i want to go to rush uh from ron howard uh and look at kind of uh there's this kind of national identity thing at work i think between these these two racers just a personal level of competition and how they push themselves and and the, 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 the heights that they push themselves to, even if it causes tragedy or, or pain, uh, I think Rush is an interesting uh, one to look at. Uh, similarly, uh, you know, I, and I think this, this next one pairs well with Bull Durman. That's The Wrestler uh, from Darren Aronofsky. Uh, one I love quite a bit, and I think it gets all of the wrestling stuff right uh, in a very sincere way. Uh, but also an, another one about a man searching for an identity who is way past his prime and, and doesn't know where to go with his life. And, and I think that pairs uh, really interestingly with, with Bull Durham. And finally, uh, the last one I thought about was he got game, uh, which we did on the show a long time ago. I really love. Uh, and, and you know, a, a movie more about uh, the, the, the father son relationship than it is about the sport. Uh, and so that's, that's where I would end this, but uh, really looking at the sports movie as the foundation of a much deeper narrative where the sport is there, but it's not the focal point. And that's kind of where I'm coming from here with this.
0: All right. That sounds great. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. So uh, I've been thinking about it, uh, what I would do with this class. And I was telling you guys beforehand, I was like, I'm not sure what I would pick and where I would keep it. And then I've had like a flood of ideas uh, since then. So I think uh, the course that I'd be proposing, would be a course on national identity as mediated through cinema. And uh, it's only a preliminary list of films, though, uh, that I would want to throw in there. Uh, And so, Bennett Like Beckham is clearly wrestling with those questions of, you know, what what does it mean to be uh, South Asian and also uh, British and uh, the sort of Irish identity on top of, you know, living in England specifically within uh, the United Kingdom uh, begins uh, some of those questions. Uh, and, and then going you know, to another comedy, I think, because a lot of the movies are going to be pretty heavy, I want to be sure that we've got at least two uh, other humorous films in addition to that. And uh, one of them is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I think uh, as a, a movie, it is interesting because it's doing some of the similar kinds of things that you're seeing in uh Bend It Like Beckham, but dealing mm. with Greek culture and uh, more or less telling Pinky's story, right? Uh, throughout the course of uh, the wedding of our main characters, there, and uh, so I, I think that would be an interesting place, and also it's also uh, just,
2: just fun. It's interesting from like a indie film production standpoint, right? Like right. it is a colossal, monumental, like box office success. It, it, when you see it stacked up, just like in, in terms of how it ranks among like other, you know, quote unquote, uh, financially successful uh, independent films, like it, it is in a class of its own.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and sticking in the American vein and uh, something that's kind of funny is uh, Smoke Signals, a uh, great little film about, uh, you know, a couple guys on a Native American reservation. And uh, it's about fathers and sons. It's a road movie. And it's also about having this sort of, you know, strong indigenous identity alongside a, a sense of being part of this broader American culture. And how does one go about negotiating that? It's more bittersweet uh, than it is uh, just uh, laugh-out-loud funny like ben, like Beckham is at times, uh, and My Big Fat Greek Wedding is, absolutely, uh, throughout. But it's got a, a bit of that going back and forth with it. Now I want to move over to France, and uh, two films I'd want to think about for that. First one is Welcome from 2009 which is a story about immigration itself, uh, legal and illegal immigration, and finding one's place there in France uh, as an Iraqi uh, uh, refugee, and then trying to get one's way from France to England uh, without having proper papers and documentation. And so negotiating the sort of Kafkaesque bureaucracy that's required for that, and perhaps taking uh, matters into one's own hands to... uh, threaten one's own life, uh, as one does that. So, uh, interesting movie. Also, there's a bit of football in it. And as uh, our main character is a big Manchester United fan in that film. And so, uh, so there's a Beckham connection, uh, there as well. The internationalism of football itself, I think is interesting there. The other French film I'd recommend is La Haine, uh, from 1995 starring Vincent Cassell. You may know, uh, who's a French actor who's done quite a bit of work, but it's about, uh, two, three characters, uh, Vins, played by Vincent Cassell, who is Jewish, uh, Hubert, who is uh, uh, Angola, uh, Algerian, I about said Angolian Algerian, and then Said, who's Arab. And they're all living in uh, France in the 90s uh, during the time of great uh, unrest. There's a riot that takes place, questions of police violence and all of that. And these three uh, young men trying to negotiate their friendship and their various uh, you know, uh, family of origin identities alongside their own French identity, I think, is uh, really kind of an interesting movie. And it's also just a, it's a great movie, a uh, really, really fascinating movie from the 90s there. Uh, moving back to the States, I think Martin Scorsese's got to come up here. And uh, Gangs of New York is the movie I think I would choose. Um, not just because is great, not just because Daniel Day-Lewis is great, but because of the sort of anti-immigrant uh uh animosity that's fueled by daniel day lewis's character against irish uh immigrants uh at the time and so i find that to be really fascinating and interesting and and on a lot of levels and uh and so and the use of the term native americans uh as it was being used in this uh early part of the 20th century or late 19th century uh when the film was set in which uh, a native american means you're born in the United States as opposed to someone who uh, you know, flew over here, or flew over, uh, took a boat over here. And so uh, the anti-Irish uh, implications of that are really kind of interesting as well. Lastly, I'd pick an ethnographic film, and that's Charles Burnett's Killer of Sheep, which is a movie I just keep recommending all the time and would use in all the syllabi whenever I possibly could. And it is his sort of neorealist approach to life and wants in the 1960s and 70s. And uh, looking at that particular African-American experience in the United States and how, uh, again, this sort of culture within a culture and uh, living in uh, this uh, ghettoized, quite literally, uh, area uh, and uh, what life is like there and uh, the foreignness of uh, mainstream white culture. Uh, throughout the course of that film is also something that's pretty fascinating. And so that would be the beginning um, inklings of some sort of course that would be in in which various national cinemas, uh, oftentimes through independent film production, but sometimes through studio production, would uh, wrestle with these questions of a national identity where one has a uh, family origin that uh, has a strong, immigrant identity or other cultural identity alongside uh, an American identity or uh, not American, but a uh, the larger culture around it, sometimes American, sometimes French, sometimes British in the case of uh, the various uh, ground I've covered in my recommendations. So um, I kind of want to teach that class. I really want to think about it a bit more.
2: Yeah, I feel like uh, yours and mine kind of fit together in an interesting way. And I'm definitely glad you you got. I got a little bit stuck looking at UK and US films. I'm glad you got a little bit more uh, of a sampling there about, you know, different uh, immigrant communities, you know, throughout the world.
0: I mean, Celine Skiama's Girlhood is another good example of this as well. We talked
2: about. Yeah, we talked about that on the the show all the time. What a great movie.
0: Yeah. So, um there's there's a lot of options there. And like I said, I like the idea itself is really kind of fascinating me right now. So, I would love to think more about that in the future. And Do of you know course, I this, guess uh, The Godfather, frankly.
2: Of course, yeah. And the, gosh, really once you open up the door to uh, crime movies. There is really all kinds of, st- right, whether it's, you know, the Italian mafia, uh the yakuza, uh the tongs, is that is that what they call the Chinese mafia mm-hmm. that existed, right? Is that that what they call those organizations. I think tongs, conflicts? right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, lot, Yeah, once you open up crime movies, you really are talking about a whole other slice of like th- the ways in which uh, groups try to make space for themselves in a in a new land, right? Um, or a
0: film like Eastern Provinces, where you have a Canadian filmmaker setting a film in the UK about Russian immigrants.
2: Yeah, yeah, a lot, so. lots of interesting bits of remove there right layers and layers yeah
0: yeah do you guys know about
2: this horror movie uh, his house on netflix about uh, the i watched
0: his movies? house it's actually really good yeah okay
2: i was thinking about that while you were talking about your syllabus and i was like Who wouldn't it be interesting to get a horror movie in here because that's an area that gets explored a lot in these kind of themes
0: see now i'm up to about 10 reasons. movies now see i've got a class i gotta pitch this to my chair now yeah Absolutely. Well, this seems as good a time as any to do with what we came here to do, right? I think so. I think it's time to get down to business. That's right, dear listener. And That business is, as always, analysis. There are so many things to analyze uh, with this film. Um, girls can do boy things. Uh, let's just hit the big E on the eye chart, right? I think there's a there's a strong feminist um, critique at work in uh, Chada's film here, and, uh, and good on it. Um, yeah, and it, it feels is-
1: really natural here. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel shoehorned into the narrative. Uh, probably because Grinders, you know, part of the screenplay writing all that. You know, if you see something like this, it feels so much more. Uh, like uh, uh, uh I can't think of a signal. Uh, what's what's the words I'm looking here for? I can't think of anything. Uh, that, you know, uh, it feels really forced nowadays when you see some of these movies. It feels very heavy-handed, or uh, if it comes up in like a studio film it feels yeah. virtue signaling there's the word
2: virtue signal yeah
1: that yeah. i was looking for
2: which is uh, not a real thing that human beings or individuals do really uh, when people get called out for that it's usually somebody being an asshole but when corporations do it 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 often is a weird business move that kind of feels icky right and yeah. it's especially when it's uh super tone deaf uh, whether it's you know the uh the chinese subplot in iron man 3 Uh, or the the girl power high five in Avengers Endgame like right some of that stuff is it's like candy it feels good in the moment and the more critically you think about it the more frustrated uh, frustrating it becomes
1: yeah so I I really do like that about Bennett like back everything about I think this goes back to what you were saying Dustin about the kind of how lived in the world feels Uh, you know this this feminism element of it just feels so natural to to what the story is you know it doesn't make it a big deal but it's very smart in the way it approaches it and presents it
2: i also uh to that that you know making space for marginalized identities and peoples uh it's this movie has kind of become a a cultural fixture of uh 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 you know a certain age of gay person right like this is a a definitely a homoerotic movie and uh there's no point as far as i could find uh in the production where jess and jules ever um coupled right uh does that friendship become something else uh but having tony there i think is really important especially if we're going to have this big scene um with jules and her mom in the car uh about how you know wearing trainers or whatever uh doesn't make her a lesbian and also it would not be a big deal if i were you weirdo um and again that's a great scene and as dustin said like it it is sort of right there in lockstep with the the sort of naturalism of, of gender as a theme in this film right uh but again having tony there lets that that bit of you know trying to navigate uh life with an identity that might uh make people treat you poorly uh That was a bad way to phrase that, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, I I think, really, I'm with Dustin. I want more Tony, because it it is so interesting, right? Because you can assume Jules uh, and Jess would probably be, if either one of them were an out lesbian, would probably have an easier time hanging out with their soccer mates than Tony would with his, right? And the ways in which uh, masculine identity uh, intersect with gay identity uh, in in ways that, uh, you know, suck, especially 20 years ago, right? Like, it's such a worse... Much more deeply, uh, I was yeah. But let's go go ahead and say misogynistic. Um, th- that's the first word that came to mind. I really did just kind of mean a, a larger sort of toxicity within uh, you know masculine uh, brewery in the uh, early two thousands. It really is a weird time to look back on. Uh, th- those guys feel so specific though, right? Like that's such an early aughts uh, group of dudes, right? Um, and and Tony's subplot with them, I think, is, is really. A, a nice compliment to what we have going on the rest of the film. Uh, and then again, you know, that's deepened by cultural issues uh, for Tony.
0: Right, for sure. And I think there's also this sort of uh, mid or late nineties, mid aughts kind of a uh, general suspicion of platonic friendships that mm. would be right. And so, you know, since uh, both Jess and uh, Jules are single and very close then uh, that, that's where the parents have that suspicion that they're in a lesbian relationship. And then J- J- Jess's friendship with Tony, because they're such tight buds and, mm-hmm. you know, obviously uncoupled and then a boy and a girl. So we just assume that's just where it's got to go. Right, yeah, and, and and the way in which culture in that moment, and I mean maybe still does, is, is generally suspicious of two people being friends that could possibly be a couple. That there's got to that we look for the layer when yeah. the layer's not necessarily there.
2: Yeah, the film does a great, again, there's so much gay panic stuff going on in the late 90s and early aughts, and not just uh, both UK, US cinema, right? Like, it's a big feature of popular culture in this era. And I think you're right, Dustin, that for this film to, I don't know, words like heteronormativity were not being bandied about uh, a lot. Again, they might have had, film academics might have been, you know, getting at that shit already at this point. But obviously, by the time I'm starting to read stuff about film studies, you know, 10 years after this film comes out or so it's obviously a huge part of what we're talking about when we do screen studies right but in 2002 this film does feel really ahead of the curve both in terms of as dustin you were saying unpacking platonic relationships on screen uh but also yeah that that suspicion towards uh people of the same gender just like really enjoying each other's company uh and again as we move towards a a culture that's more open uh and accepting uh we, we do move into uh weirder bigotries, right? Uh, par- parents being a little bit fuzzier, uh, regardless of who their child's uh, hanging out with. I don't know why fuzzy was the adjective I went with. I me- I think I meant uh, fussy. I don't know. Uh, Dustin, you're a parent. You-, you say things about being a parent. Let's talk about parenting in this movie.
0: I mean, yeah, I, I think w- the first thing I want to say is I want to, th- I want to talk about Jules's mom mm. and uh, just her suspicion itself. And then her relief at that moment and her recovery which comes out as a get out i would have voted for obama three times kind yeah, of a real
2: <laughs> absolutely a real seinfeld not that there's anything wrong with that moment
0: Yeah, it's very much like this neoliberal response to it. it's like yeah i want to be progressive and i want to be woke but as long as it's not my kid right yeah, it, yeah. It, i love martina never to <laughs> okay mom sure you do luganus is the best come on yeah it, it is. It is really kind of strange. Uh, well, I say strange. It's, it's gross, and uh, but it's also it's, it's endemic of the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A, so
2: we, I I spoke over there. Uh, you there. You said truthful, and I was saying endemic of the time. But yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. There's a real authenticity to that. Is that she's definitely afraid that it's her daughter, but not that it's. she would have no problem with any of her friends or any of her mates on her soccer team. You know, coming out as lesbian or whatever, but just as long as it's not Jules. Uh, that's what her, she's really troubled by. And uh, that's it's a weird specific subset of a homophobia there, right? Well,
2: and it's interesting both the, the dueling narratives, or rather I should say complementary narratives of Jess and Jules allow us two different ways to look at parents not being okay with their kids' extracurricular activities, right? So with with Jules, we have her mom. Um, having very specific ideas of what femininity are and what you know appropriate expression for a young woman are um, from a purely like gendered standpoint and while those gender expectations definitely exist um, for Jess uh, in in her family right for her dad there is that larger issue of of racism he's already experienced in the UK uh, as an athlete Um, you know he, he mentions that he had a some sort of uh, East African Cricket Cup before he, uh, you know, tournament that he he competed in, and was like, well, did they did they say his team won, or did they say he was the MVP? Whatever it was, he was decorated, right, um, for his athletics. Uh, and you know, he comes now. Hold pin in that for just able... a second
0: because I want to come back. To yes. Okay. For just, we'll a, to, you're just a second, right. because I think there's a, there's a second piece to this that's interesting. You know, we talk about the heteronormativity, and again, that sort of liberal exception where liberals are sometimes, you know, we're okay with it as long as it's not in touching our family in any way. Uh, there's also within uh, there's a, there's a line that pinky has where she tells uh, Jess that she can love anyone she wants, but she can't be the first one to date the English bloke. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's an ethno normativity that's at work there that her family are not opposed to that kind of interracial marriage, just not our daughter. And so we have a different side of a slightly different coin, but at the same time it's trying to reflect on the same kind of uh, uh, assumptions and uh, ways in which you know openness but closedness within the, the the individual family unit. I, I found that line to be really kind of interesting, to think about yeah. that line next to the line where the mother is saying, well, but that, not that there's anything wrong with that. Pinky almost says the exact same thing.
2: That is very interesting. You're right. And, and I think what we – we do get a little bit more of that in the, the tension between Jindy and Je- uh, J- Pinky and Jess's parents uh, and uh, Pinky's uh, fiance, whatever his name was. Um, I forget. I forget um, too. But, you know, uh, because of the sort of this, this tight knit community um, where, you know, everybody knows everybody's business, there, there is also a, a much bigger uh value put on appearances right like how is the family perceived by other families within this community um and, and you know being uh, first generation it's very important to her parents and other parents in that community um, that there are certain uh, you know things that are not lost in the move to a new culture right that there is a, a certain amount of uh, you know identity that they want to keep staked out for their family and I, I you're right there's not a whole lot here and I think some of the films on uh, you know, The Big Sick, uh, obviously, is a big one. Uh, the Farewell, a little bit, too. I think those are both films that deal with this. In uh, The Farewell, it's interesting because it's, um, you know, the, uh, the character played by, um, oh, my God. Um, what is her name? Aquafina, there we go. I couldn't picture her. I, I could. I was like, I know it's a, it's a one, one word. Um, you know, the Aquafina character in that is obviously grown up in the states, but a lot of her extended family has not, and she's got a, like a cousin who's marrying a Japanese woman, uh, and that creates some tension for you know her, her family back in mainland China. Uh, not, not a lot, but there is some, you know, some shade being thrown to his fiance uh, about her, you know, coming from another country, and so I, I think. Within different communities uh, in different nations, you, you do have, as, as you said, Dustin, this sort of ethnic normativity where it's like, well, no, that's fine. But you're going to have a quote unquote traditional family, like whatever the hell that means.
0: Right. Yeah, and, uh...
2: You're absolutely right. There's there's some interesting stuff kind of happening on the margins that feels so specific to, um, you know, this lived experience that, that we're getting to uh, work through uh, with this film.
0: And I think part of what makes the movie work so well is that it, it, it does sort of make this sort of progressive in terms of progress kind of argument. And that's what you were talking about when you were talking about um, Jess's dad and how he was not allowed to per- continue pursuing you know, a possibility of a, of a career in cricket right, yeah. because of racial kind of stuff. And that we've got uh, an issue where – I mean, 100 years ago, an Irishman would never be allowed to coach any – team in England that would never have happened, and so you know the movie doesn't say that but that 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 context is there and then the issue itself of the, the there are even girls teams at all and that there are opportunities now for girls to play uh women's uh women's professional soccer in the United States and that it's getting there some t- sometime eventually there in the uk but it doesn't make any I... of those things plot points as much as just sort of Mm-hmm. Along the line observations with an arrow pointed for there's there's a hopefulness in the movie without it being one of these days, you know, we're gonna you know, we're gonna fight for you know, it it, it it's just sort of like we're 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 getting there, gang. And I think that, that brings the charm into the film, I think, because it's not didactic, it's not preachy about it.
2: Yeah, it's not didactic, but it also doesn't feel like overly it doesn't feel like it's overly endorsing some sort of incrementalism, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it has no time for that sort of thing, which is why Jess and Jewel are going to the States. They're going to go where, uh, you know, pro women's soccer already exists, which again, fucking blew my mind that the UK did not have, uh, you know, women's premier league soccer, uh, or football, uh, in the early aughts. That's bananas to me. Uh, truly, truly blew me back. Like What? Our our dumb country, we hate soccer. We barely watch it. There's like 10 million people in this country that like it. That's it. Uh, I don't know, Dustin, do you have any numbers on that? I just picked a number out of my butt. I
0: don't have any numbers on that, but I will make an observation is that because uh, football or soccer is not a game that we care about in the United States, it has become a game in which uh, women can really excel and that the energy and finances and resources that go behind it. And that's why the, the American uh, women's team is so dominant in World Cup.
2: It has been for quite uh, some it, time, yeah.
0: It has been and will be and continues it continues to be because um, there's no competition between that and sort of the male side. I would think about the WNBA versus the NBA in the United States mm-hmm. or a, a sport in uh, the UK that did have women's and still does. And I mean, they have, they have women's uh, soccer sides too. Mm-hmm. professional now uh quite a bit more expansion There's some existence of it at the time but just not in their their location i think is mm-hmm. uh the narrative of the film but rugby women's rugby was a thing that existed but it always was uh you know the second fiddle or uh, to use a gendered word the handmaiden to the men's rugby uh that would go on you know with individual clubs and uh so it's an interesting um interplay there uh as uh you know, sport and emphasis and whether or not there's the competition for, uh, viewing the male version of it. I mean, I think about the high school experience. I don't know. Uh, I grew up in a small town high school, Arthur, I know you did as well and a basketball game for sort of major community events, cultural events, but, um, attendance, there was a marked difference between the earlier girls game and the later boys game.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: You know, and uh that competition sort of, you know, uh, sure we got Title Nine and uh, you know, sort of parity is sort of enforced, but the, the money's not there, the uh ticket sales aren't there. But yep. soccer, strangely in the United States has been a place where men's soccer just because well if you're a man you're playing sports, you there's other things to play, um, where there are resources, the recruiting, the training is there and uh the, the, the footy doesn't have that. But for women it's a place where they can really truly excel um and can get the the financing to do so
2: this is a yeah curious feature uh of uh, our cultural indifference uh towards football uh pivoting back to the movie um you you mentioned something i do just want to talk about very very briefly uh i cannot tell you how hard i laughed i was i watched this movie with our good our good mutual friend alex sanchez uh and uh Uh, another butt of ours uh over on the uh, the praise downs discord we watched this together and uh, we were all hooting and hollering and laughing our asses off when jonathan reese meyer said of course i could understand that (laughs) no you can't she got called the p word you idiot uh Uh, you look i get it you're irish you have a different accent than these people and it's it's not the same thing as like the u.s i know it's a little bit bigger deal it's not the same thing come on come on man (laughs) Yeah, it's a cute moment that like he is trying to relate to her. But it's 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 funny that that moment exists in the movie. And as soon as I saw like the original uh, screenwriter for this was a white dude, I was like, "Mm, I
0: bet that's from his draft. Well, and if he was writing this in the 50s, it might be different. but yeah, in the sure. aughts, no, not so much. exactly.
2: Yeah. I, I that's what we were joking about when that moment happened where I was like, okay, sure. there was a time. but like since the last you know IRA treaty or whatever in the, the late 70s, I'm pretty sure nobody cared. You might get called what i'm I'm sure there's a some weird Irish slur that I don't know about that you might get called if you go into the the wrong pub on the wrong part of London, but
0: come on. I'm aware of what they are. I will not utter them. But yes, there are some.
2: I'm sure there are. Yeah, look, the, the English are great at a couple of things. And one of them is making people feel bad about themselves. Yeah, um, it is. A, it is a funny moment, though. And I'm glad you're, you're right, though, Dustin, it does kind of fit within this pocket of the movie trying to do uh, a lot of other things. Is the movie itself uh, a little bit of do we want to cast dispersions on the film? for being part of the problem with this era's gay panic and not just letting there be a, a a lesbian romance in there, or is it important to the film uh, that, you know, straight women can also be athletes and, you know, don't, don't be gross about it.
0: Uh, Yeah. I I think, I think the Tony character kind of uh, does the mitigation there. Mm -hmm. It's just very present as a character who is gay and uh, is, is, is wrestling with, you know, where and how he can be open. Yeah, and he, he does. He's able to tell Jess, but he's not able to tell his parents. And he's willing to be a beard, but she kind of, you know, delivers him from that obligation.
2: I guess I was uh, questioning and problematizing it, right? Because Tony does kind of fit into this, this sort of trope of the uh, asexual gay character within mainstream film, right? The the gay character that does not get to have a romantic life because this is, quote unquote disney studio executive voice not that kind of movie my mustache is flapping like a walrus of course uh as i
0: uh, say condescending things right but i think those expanded edges of the movie i don't know that tony doesn't have a boyfriend
2: exactly and again i just wanted to bring it up because of you know this this sort of larger cultural issues going on particularly at this time in media um just wanted to throw it out there Uh, i got kind of excited that there was going to be a platonic ending actually that you know uh, Jess and Joe were not going to be cemented as an item,
0: right? Yeah, I, I I wanted that too. I didn't I didn't really want that, you know, sort of classic Hollywood, you know, um, you know, get a plot, B plot, the B plot being the romantic couple getting together. I mean, look,
2: you, you throw one look at Jonathan Rhys Meyers, pouty lips and beautiful eyes. Of course, you want to smooch him. I get it. It is a much more interesting movie if uh, Jess and Jules are just going off to colleges, uh, two gals on the town. You know what I mean? Right.
0: That her answer is like, I'm going to America. We don't got time for this. You know, I, I mean, I like it. It's like, yeah, I did. Better movie. It. I lived here. Um, we probably would try to see if we could figure something out. But really, no.
2: Um, there, there's one bit of uh, what's the word? assimilation stuff uh, that we didn't talk about. And we've, we've danced around this a little bit, you know, or not rather not danced around, but rather we've engaged with some of the stuff that the film has to say about it. Uh, but there is a moment where I think. I think it's pinky talking about one of her friends uh or not not even a friend it's some some gal she doesn't like they run into. uh jess and pinky run into you know running wedding errands uh, uh about another member of their community wearing blue contact lens uh and he's like oh crap no i can't wear mine uh but it's, it's you know it's just a little throwaway moment of specificity that i do feel like is you know i'm it would have been interesting. We could have spent more time on it, probably. You know, I don't think it would have dragged the movie down. But it's interesting that it comes up and is it's something that just kind of passes without too much mention being made of it. But it's an interesting aspect of the, the, this sort of communities within communities thing you were talking about.
0: Well, I think of like degrees of assimilation are sort of uh, at play here. You know, you've got sort of these mm-hmm. grandmotherly generations, and then you've got you know uh, the parents, and then you've got the kids, and the kids are these varying degrees of. Uh, maintaining a a certain faithfulness. You know, we got bearded, non-bearded young men within the Sikh culture, turban wearing, not turban wearing, you know, men. And then I I think about uh, that group of young ladies um, that are not Pinky's friends that or maybe they are Pinky's friends, I'm not exactly sure, who are watching the boys play soccer, right? And they're like, uh, you know, in Mm -hmm. love with the handsome beefcakes with the shirts off right? Mm-hmm. And their line delivery and their vernacular, there is nothing identifiably South Asian about them at all, except for their their bodies on the screen. There, there is,
2: yeah, there's some great accent stuff. Like I said, there's a lot of indents in this movie, which always delight me. It's one of my, uh, it's just a, a British turn of phrase that always makes me laugh, uh, even though it's just like a, a conjecture, uh, you know, w- within their, their parlance. It just makes me laugh. But you're right, it is a very, like, uh, It could be a Guy Ritchie movie. It feels like a very like uh, British slang being thrown out because international audiences like it moment. You're absolutely right. It is a fun moment that does engage with these levels of assimilation that exist within uh, migrant communities.
0: For sure, for sure. Um, Are there any other major issues that are on our minds that we want to make sure we unpack before we uh, render a verdict? Are we feeling good, fellas?
2: Um. I think there is some great stuff about complicated family dynamics in the, this sort of trio uh, of Jess, Jules, and Joe that I, I think is worth you know mentioning as we're on our way out, right? Like uh, Jess keeps uh, trying to convince Joe he should try to be closer with his father, men fences with him. Uh, and we, we do have some, again, we've talked a lot about Jules and her mom, uh, but also there's her dad who is sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place of uh, being delighted that his daughter's into the same stuff as him, but it kind of, you know creating tension for uh, him and Jules' mother uh and then again Jess uh, and Joe talking about different types of parent dynamics uh again they're not not really much we have to get into here but I, it's just interesting as far as from you know like a screenwriting standpoint it it's a great through line throughout the film to have these three separate characters all wrestling with different variations of a of a similar theme
0: yeah absolutely um I do think uh the movie is aware of class without commenting directly. I mean clearly mm-hmm. Jules's family is is uh, is much more upper middle class uh Pinky's fiance's family are definitely in a class, you know, or a bit of uh, a bit more well to do than mm-hmm. um than Jess's family and Jess and Pinky's parents are. And so the the movie's just again is just aware of class and those distinctions without really again Getting real didactic about it, and the ways in which those also create uh, various kinds of pressures. Um, so I just I don't know if there's anything more to say about it than that. But the movie's like, oh, uh,
2: it. it's funny you 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 got that read. Uh, Jules Red is a little bit more working class to me, and maybe it's Keira Knightley's accent and the actor playing her dad's accent. You know, they both kind of have a more uh, um, typical, prototypical like Cockney accent. I don't know if that's right. Look, I'm not a dev you know, British dialects experts. I'm not going to pretend I am, but that's my ears hear those accents. And I think the word cockney, I know that that's, you know, sort of a working class dialect. Um, so that was how they read to me. Uh, you know, their their little split level house didn't seem too well to do, but maybe you picked up on some signifiers that I'm not aware
0: of. Well, her room itself is more of a proper room without the slanted ceiling that, that you know, ah. uh, Jess lives in. So, you know, there's, it, it, it's more designed there. And then her possession of lots of shoes. Mm. And just, you know, struggling to buy her football boots or cleats, Duh. as we say here in the States. And of course. And so that little bit there is class. And then, of course, um, Pinky's fiance's family is, you know, better cars and that kind of stuff. And
2: well, better. yeah, have strong opinions about what their son's future sister in law is doing. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. The, it's only rich people that care about that kind of shit. Right. Um, so, yeah, well spotted. You're right. The, the film doesn't need to revel in it, but it is a feature of. Oh, I guess Brit cinema stuff, uh, there is one thing that, you know, not a subject I'm as studied in as you guys, but there, to me, definitely seems to be a through line to, um, you know, one of uh Chadha's contemporaries uh, in British cinema, and that's uh, Edgar Wright. I, I think there's a lot of uh, very similar montage work in this film that, you know, if you look over at, you know, Wright's filmography, he's doing a lot of the same stuff, and it was it was very interesting. Uh, you know this film comes out before he kind of gets his big break with uh, Shaun of the Dead uh, so it was interesting to see you know this contemporary of his kind of start working a, a very similar uh, style to him before he he's on the scene really he's still working in British television at this point I think
1: well even Wright's lifting that from a guy like Guy Ritchie right I mean Guy Ritchie's yeah. high frenetic editing is, is a touchstone of his work
2: yeah you're right and you know, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, that's what, mid to late 90s? So you're right, that is already kind of a, a British uh, feature that is kind of broken out into international cinema already. So very very good point, Arthur. Um, are there any other like classical British cinema stuff that you two noticed? Because I know you guys are, uh, you two are, are a little studied in that. I just was curious if you saw any of that within this film uh, that was worth commenting on.
1: I think in studying this, you know, I think that the primary element of it is uh, I think from a stylistic point, it does feel very Western and in that rom-com structure that it does follow, especially with that ending. I think really the Britishness of this is the identity element of this Indian Sikh culture juxtapositioned against a white suburban culture. I think that's really the the Britishness of it. It comes down to that element really more than any of the stylistic pieces in play.
2: I I agree just curious if you guys noticed anything man speaking of uh, movies about indian weddings thought about monsoon wedding with the end of this one yeah yeah
1: Yeah. you know that's really a uh, you know that the indian cinema is one that we haven't really ever gotten into and you know maybe for a future anti-trash or marathon that'd be you know really fun to get into that right i mean because it is a completely you know different cinema i don't i don't know that we've ever really gotten into that
2: no we absolutely haven't um uh, it's not all bollywood don't call it that that's all i know um and also don't say that there's too much of it as an excuse because there's lots of good lists out there. Yeah, I'm absolutely in for this. It's a big blind spot for me as far as international cinema goes. And I would love to do some on the show. Uh, yeah. but speaking of the show, we got to wrap this up. I think uh, we've said the things we need to say. What comes next?
0: Uh, let's render a verdict then. Shelf or trash? What do we say with uh, Bennett like Beckham? Go, Arthur. Uh,
1: You know what? I, I, I think I would put this on the shelf. I, I think it does warrant that. Maybe lightly. But I think, like I said, I I think... Talking sports, movies, talking identity, talking culture. I think it kind of crosses several spectrums of of potential use. So uh, definitely shelf.
2: What do you say, Dalton? Um, yeah, shelf. This is a good movie. Uh, like I said at the top, I have no notes. It's it's so charming. Uh, anytime I, a, a movie ends and I think oh, that was pleasant. Like I'm I'm there. I love it when an end credits has the cast and crew just goofing off and having fun. Uh, of course, Kira Knightley's dropping uh, dropping F-bombs on set. Makes me laugh every time uh, she swears. Swears a lot in interviews. Uh, she seems fun. One of the top 10 movie smiles. Fun actor. Great first performance. Uh, this is a movie that seems like it's probably a, a, a pretty big uh, sexual awakening moment for uh, for lots of folks. We've got a lot of abs in this movie, uh, both femme and masculine. Um, fun. Like, again, just for that sort of, like... Looming large uh, for a, a generation of people, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, as a, a work from Grunewaldtata that uh, I, I think is like, cemented itself as a new British canon classic, kind of immediately with its sort of huge international success. Yeah, I think all of, just other than the quality, I think all of these history of movie things um, that are sort of around the orbit of Benedict like Beckham uh, make it absolutely um, something that has to be shelved.
0: Thank you very much for that. Dalton, um, I also say shelf. I haven't seen this movie in like nearly 10 years, and I don't know why. I really don't know why. I don't know why I haven't watched it again, because I should have, and I want it on my shelf so that I can. I have a daughter now. I want to have this movie in my home, and I don't want it played on the regular, um, because I think it's a good movie uh, for uh, just those kinds of purposes. So uh, there you go, listener. Those are our thoughts. Hey, Dalton, say the words about the social media.
2: Uh, yeah, if you want to talk to us about Bendelike Like Beckham, uh, or any of the other, god, probably dozen plus movies we talked about today in some capacity, uh, there's lots of ways you can do that, and they're all on the computer. Don't get near me right now. I don't want your breath upon my face. Uh, but if you want to send us an email, it is goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, that's going to be the long-form feedback. Uh, if you want to, uh, I don't know, DM us for some reason, those are open. Uh, good underscore trash on Twitter. Uh, you know, if you're not on Twitter, this is not me telling you you should be there it's a bad place that's very stressful uh but if you're already on twitter or you know if you just want to keep up with uh different uh shows on the network whether it's the good trash honor cast that you're listening to right now um or you know the wheel of randy with dan wade where he uh, talks about uh randy newman with a different guest each week uh he recently had a uh randy hair from uh chat pile on there i know i just talked about him being a guest on the praise down with heath and alex another show on the network and he just did an episode uh of the wheel he went on to talk with dan about randy newman and uh it's a good episode i haven't finished it just yet but i really was having fun listening to, to what i've heard already uh so again if you want to stay up to date on shows dropping uh, that's at good underscore trash we try to tweet those links out as much as possible uh, and again, you know, we're there if you, you got something you want to say. If you got uh, a movie you want us to try and do uh, soon, uh, look, we we love hearing uh, what you want to hear us talk about. Um, we had so much fun doing the uh, the uh, how have we never covered marathon, where we had uh, listeners vote in uh, through Twitter polls. Uh, yeah, you don't have to wait for us to do another one of those. If you want to tell us a movie you think we should cover, at Good underscore Trash is the place to do those things. Whew, takes a lot of breath to get through the Twitter segment. I gotta say. I'm it's nice to take a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Look at, uh, a lot of work over the years to develop this powerful meaty diaphragm. Um, if you want to give us money, you absolutely do not have to. And I don't ever once want you to feel guilty about it. But if you do want to, it's patreon.com forward slash GTM. Um, we're running out of runway. We haven't been in the same room as each other for a while to roll dice. But if you want to get caught up on Archdiocese, the uh, actual play uh, podcast we do where we're, uh, we're doing a tabletop. We do the Monster of the Week, which you may or may not have heard of. You probably have really famous uh, actual play podcasts, have done campaigns in that system. But it's fun. If you like Buffy and X-Files, uh, it's that sort of vibe. Uh, but it's me and Dustin. We're having fun. We're doing wacky stuff. Arthur's putting us in all kinds of mysteries and, and puzzles and, uh, character moments. It's great stuff. Uh, that's one of the perks you can get. If you go over to patreon.com forward slash GTM, uh, we'll also send you a movie quarterly, stuff like that. All kinds of good stuff over there. Um, Finally, last but not least, um, we're not the only ones on the network with our own Twitter. If you go to at the Praisedown on Twitter, uh, their pinned link uh, is a dis- – their pinned tweet, rather, is a link to their Discord server. Um, you know, it's not really got anything to do with this show. I'm just in that uh, Discord server a lot, watching movies for the show. And uh, it's a fun community, man. We're hanging out. We're talking about uh, The Praise Down, which is a very good show that you should check out if you haven't already. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about other things, movies we're watching games we're playing books look you you might have seen a discord server it's we're talking about the things people talk about on the internet posting pictures of pets and foods and uh talking about you know shitty things that are happening in our lives because uh the world's tough and it's nice to have a place to commiserate and make new friends uh so that's at the praise down on twitter uh their pinned tweet is a is a place is a, is a link to a place full of happy friends um i can't think of any more social media stuff oh wait I, I can't remember one. Arthur last week plugged a podcast appearance uh, that hasn't happened yet because of apocalyptic weather conditions. Um, so uh, if you were wondering where that was, it hasn't happened yet, but it's happening well, soon. it's up now if you're oh, listening to this. Well, there you go. If you're listening to this, you can go put it in your ears now. Arthur and I uh, teamed up with uh, Caleb Masters, longtime listeners in the show, will remember, uh, uh, co-hosted with us for quite a few uh, episodes. Uh, about a year or so, I think, a year and a half. Uh, but he's got his own deal uh, called The Cinematropolis, uh, and uh, he does a podcast over there called The Cinematic Schematic. And he uh, talked to uh, people in the the film industry in the OKC area uh, about movies that helped them get through uh, twenty twenty. And uh, we had a fun time uh, talking over there, didn't we, Arthur?
1: Yeah, it was a hoot. Uh, it was uh, it was really kind of fun to look back and then talk about those things.
2: Yeah, sort of a good time, isn't it, Roy? Right. All right, the podcast over, isn't it?
0: Uh, almost. Um, thank you for that bit of accent work as well. <laughs> it made me happy. <laughs> yes. Well, there's one of us. Um, hey, Arthur, <laughs> uh, what are we doing next?
1: Well, let me set the stage for you. It's the year 2021, and there's a virus running rampant. That's right. We're talking about 1995's Johnny Mnemonic.
2: Wow. Well, oh. Weirdly pressure. Oh, we're, not, we're not talking about outside.
1: No, nope. Uh, uh, we're going back in time to talk about the present.
2: I cannot wait i uh discovered this movie last year um uh, not discovered everybody's aware of this movie, I think, but I watched it for the first time last year I, in fact, talked about it on that uh that very podcast appearance I just mentioned. um I love this movie uh Arthur, I assume you've watched it now at this point you haven't you yes, uh Dustin, you still have not right correct. This is very exciting. I cannot wait. I might even watch it a third time before we record over it next. I think it's goofy as hell, and I cannot wait to uh, unpack the year that is uh, with the two of you while watching this movie.
0: Interesting. Well, there you go, dear listener. Giant Mnemonic is next. You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not sure.